Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 433 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. My guest is Alan George today. For a decade, he served as online pastor at Life Church, one of the largest online churches in the world. And uh, yeah, we talk about all things digital. Today's episode is brought to you by Pro Media Fire. Get complete social media management and digital growth strategy and get 10% off your first year by going to promediafire.com slash carry and by Remodel Health. Go to remodelhealth.com slash carry to learn more about their health benefits analysis and download their free church buyer's guide. Well, Alan is going to talk about everything you need to know about church online. If you run a business, well, there's a lot of insights here as well. And I think you're going to be really surprised because it sounds so digital, but he is really all about relationship. And I think that is the key to a great online presence, right? It's a personal relationship with the people that you're connecting with. And we also go into what metrics to watch and which to ignore. So I'm about to get some more people upset with me about the whole multiplier thing. But Alan and I talk about it and explain that. So for a decade from 2010 to 2020, Alan George led Church Online for Life Church and saw it grow to one of the largest church onlines in the world. He shares his top insights on this episode. And he was originally born in India, raised in the Middle East, and now lives in the U.S. with his wife, Marilyn, three kids. He is passionate about ministry, and he was on staff at Life Church for a decade and uh, now works at XP Solutions. So you can actually have him consult with you and work with you over at xp.solutions. And uh, we talk about that transition as well and what that means. And he really is a strong believer in levering technology to forward your mission And we talk about the global impact that the church can have. As you've heard me say once or twice, digital scales in a way that in-person just doesn't, and yet it leads to a lot of in-person connections. So on that note, are you looking to grow your online campus? You got two choices in 2021 when it comes to digital. You or a team member can work day and night to keep up with social media strategy that's continually changing, or you can hire ProMedia Fire and get a whole suite of experts that keep up with the trends to help you grow online. So it's your choice. But with ProMedia Fire, you save time and grow online while your digital team uh, gets the benefit of going to work for you through ProMedia Fire. So it's complete social media management and digital growth just a few clicks away. You also, because you listen to this podcast, get 10% off for life when you go to promediafire.com slash carry. That's promediafire.com forward slash carry. You also know as a leader that navigating health benefits can be a struggle, especially for organizational leaders who wear a lot of different hats in their role. Luckily, you don't have to stress about picking the perfect health benefits plan for your team thanks to Remodel Health. Remodel Health tailors health benefits to your organization's needs, allowing you to discover more options, serve employees better, control the cost, while still saving money on benefits. Now, to date, Remodel Health has helped listeners of this podcast save $1.6 million in the last year and a half. Imagine what you do with those savings. That's not spending. That's like $1.6 million saved. So are you ready to learn how Remodel Health could help your organization provide better benefits and bigger savings? 
Their benefit consultants can run a health benefits analysis on your unique team to evaluate your current health benefits and help you find a better alternative. To do that, head on over to remodelhealth.com slash carry and learn more about the health benefits analysis and download their free church buyer's guide, experience better benefits and bigger savings with Remodel Health. Go to remodelhealth.com slash carry. Well, with all that said, let us dive into my conversation with Alan George. Alan, so glad to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Carrie. I'm excited to be here. Well, um, you know, you have become synonymous with digital ministry over the last decade plus. And all of a sudden, you know, a whole lot of people, business leaders, church leaders, got very interested in digital over the last year and a half. So I thought we'd spend a whole episode doing a deep dive into it. Tell us how you got interested in digital ministry. Like what, what happened? Yeah, it's it's a funny story. It was not planned by any means. So sure. um, I started working at Life Church, which was my first ministry job in 2010. And right. I and remember they had pioneered uh, digital ministry four yes. years earlier, right? Oh yes. six, yes, four or five yeah. years uh, prior to that. Um, and I, I mean, I, so I'm originally from India. I spent okay. most of my life in the Middle East, and so my concept of churches, we were always bivocational. So even moving here and I had a friend on staff and he was like, Hey, would you consider working at Life Church? I was like, wait, they pay you to do ministry? Like, so even that whole concept was very new to me. Uh, it was like, you get insurance, you know? So anyways, I, um, had the opportunity to talk to a friend. Um, and Life Church was, uh, the, I was also attending. Um, and so, the, the whole concept of, man, you can leverage your, your business skills. You can, cause I come from a corporate background and I mm. thought you had to go to Bible school and you had to do all of that before you could get on staff. And this friend said, man, if you've got a heart for Christ and if you know how to do organizational stuff and business stuff, we'd love to talk to you. So that's what opened the door. Um, my first interview, I don't know if they actually knew what to do with me. And so I remember getting on the phone with Jerry Hurley, who's uh, still a part of our directional leadership team. And he said, Alan, um, we're going to take a risk here and um, we've got a role. Uh, We'd love to see if you're interested. So this was after the interview process. So I was like, yeah, because this was like a dream come true. I was like, God, I'd do anything to work at Life Church." And the role that they offered me was the kids pastor. So it was called Life Kids. And I was like, Jerry, and I had two children uh, young. They were really young. I said, Jerry, just to be honest, I have no experience with kids ministry. And I don't know if I'm even good with my own kids. Are you sure you want me to be a kids <laughs> pastor? And so that's kind of the journey that started me off at Life Church. And about five, six months into it, it was a conversation that started with Pastor Kevin Pendry, who was also part of our directional leadership team, that led to a conversation with Bobby and then Terry Storch. Um, they, it was just, you know, hey, you've lived in a few different countries. Like, what is your perspective of doing online ministry? And I thought, why do they keep asking me to do things that I have no clue about? <laughs> like, technology. I mean, I enjoy good technology, but I wouldn't call myself a digital native. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't a coder or anything like no, that. No, no, right? absolutely nothing. And so I, my, my thought process was, God, let me be part of a campus. I, I just let me be in front of people. I love the face-to-face relationship. And so online was, in my perspective at that point, the exact opposite. And so we talked about it. We, I dove in, started looking at the possibilities 
And it took me back to a conversation I had with God. I'm a pastor's kid, ran away from God, had a crazy encounter with him. And at that moment, I remember asking God, I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And this was in, I'd say, year 2000. Hmm. And back then, I felt like God telling me, I want you to go to the world and tell everyone what I did for you. And I remember, I'm a logical thinker, and so I remember, right. like, God, that, that's great, but you realize that will never happen. Like, you, people spend <laughs> entire lifetimes trying to reach their community. How do I go into the world? And so, fast forward to this conversation with Pastor Bobby, Pastor Terry, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is what God was talking about. At the click of a button, you could actually reach the world. And so, that was, for me, the, yes, sign me up. I want to be a part of this. I had no clue how to do any of this, but that's really what reminded me of, okay, I think this is what God was talking about. Let me jump in. What was your business background? What did you do before? Yeah, marketing, yeah. sales. That was kind of my my line of work. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So again, and you know, as we talk about technology, I've talked about that with Tony Morgan and a few others. It seems like people, because the church, most church leaders I talk to would be like, yeah, we don't really have digital people on our staff. It probably will take a lot of people to come from the broader marketplace mm -hmm. into a ministry context for that. And the same with a lot of companies, right? If you mm -hmm. run a restaurant, if you run a gym, you don't really have a lot of people who, you know, is like, yeah, I do yep. digital. That's what I do, yep. right? So you'll see a lot of that. Right. Um, well, for over a decade, you worked mm -hmm. as the online pastor at Life Church, and they pioneered online church in 2006. I mean, did innovative things like Uversion. If you've ever downloaded that app, which half a billion people have done, you are familiar with Life Church and technology. I want you to take us back to the beginning, or at least your beginning with them. Oh, what wow. was on like minister? What was online ministry like when you started with the Allen? So for me, it was a completely new world. And I, I, I've got to mention this part. I remember um, when I stepped into the role as a church online pastor. And so at Life Church, at that time, we viewed it as a campus pastor role. Um, and so I remember um, I was, I mean, still fairly new on staff six months in. Um, pastor Craig was, I think there was like a team lunch or something. And I happened to see him there. And I look, I mean, I still look up to him. He's my pastor, incredible oh, yeah. leader. Craig's I, amazing. I remember, yeah. Oh, I, and so I remember walking up to him, thanking him for the opportunity. And I said, I asked him this question. I thought, okay, if I can get it from the boss, you know, what, Craig, what is your vision for Church Online? You tell me and I'll run with it. And I remember him pausing and t uh, he, he thought for a second, he said, Alan, God placed you in this role so we just we trust we trust the Holy Spirit, we trust God, and we trust that you will know what to do. And so you lead and we'll follow. And I remembered those words because this was Pastor Craig. And I thought, you're I mean, you don't even know me, you know. I mean, he knows me, but it was like, how are you trusting someone like me in a role like this? And that really shaped even my leadership with when we started hiring people and empowering them to do things. So I remember feeling this sense of trust from the leadership team. I didn't have to keep convincing them that, hey, this role matters and this job matters. Please keep it, keep me around. And so that was, I think, a real foundation for me to build on. I, I knew that there was safety, that failure was not something that was bad. It was, it was something that we need to learn to embrace. And so I, 
that foundation really helped me step into this. And then in this role, I think because I didn't have the digital background, I really looked at what I had in my hand at that time. And I knew what face-to-face interactions needed to look like. And so it was me sitting down and going, okay, if I did this in person, what's the equivalent online? And I Mm. literally just started building it from scratch. So for example, it's like, okay, we want to hire a volunteer. Great. What would that conversation look like or recruit a volunteer? What would that conversation look like in person? How do I figure out the equivalent online? How do I, if, if someone gave their life to Christ, what would my conversation as a pastor be with that person in person? And how do I mimic that online? What do I, how do I find the equivalent version of that? And so we built like email campaigns and things like that. But I used for me what I thought was if I, if this is what I do in person, how do I help someone feel the same way online? That's almost counterintuitive, isn't it? Because you think you need some Silicon Valley high-tech solution and you come up with, well, how do we just take people skills, real conversation, real relationships and do that online? So what Uh, were some of the innovation? Yeah, comment on that and and then we'll take it from there. I I remember... um, uh, we were we were thinking about volunteer appreciation, and I remember trying to figure out how do we do this because again with church online at that point we had volunteers that had never stepped foot into our physical building. I'd never right. seen them face to face. You know they're obviously joining our team, and so how do we help them understand DNA? How do we help them understand culture, mission, purpose? And and I remember talking to some of my campus pastor peers and say I'd go pick their brain and say hey how would you you know, inspire? How would you talk to people? How would you cast vision? And a lot of it, because I I think part of it was, I didn't know what technology could do. And so Hmm. for me, I started with, how do I want my people to feel? How do I want them to Hmm. experience this uh, moment when they, uh, you know, meet us online? Um, Because there was a time, again, this was one of those pivotal moments for me, I felt this burden and this weight of seeing the numbers and the data of people showing up. And I started thinking, God, what do I do? Like, you've asked me to pastor uh, an audience that I cannot see. How do I shepherd this group? And and I I had to figure out, it, it was building it from scratch almost. And so I, I I think I took the things that I saw that my peers were doing and figured out the digital aspect of it and then asking a lot of people questions. I'll give you one example. When people gave their life to Christ in, in a couple of the previous versions of the church online platform, um, when Pastor Craig would say, if you want to give your life to Christ, raise your hand. If you're mm-hmm. online, click the slide below. People would c- click the slide and I could see the number moving up. And I thought, I want to know their name. Because if I was in the building, I could see the hand go up, tears rolling down their eyes. I could see all that. But online, all you see is this little number. And so I remember talking to uh, someone on the team and I said, how do I know their name? And um, this one guy said, hey, if you want, I can make it to where when they click the slide, a form pops up. And I I mean, this is, you know, it sounds so simple today. But back then I was like, wait, a form can pop up? Like, what do you... <laughs> what are you talking about? Is this magic? What's going, you know? And so it really, for me, people would laugh if they knew where I was and how I had to figure this out. 
And I really think even to this day, rather than marketing strategies, it was more about people. And I know it's it's the same, but for me, I, I focused on how do I connect with people and what tools do I need to accomplish ra- rather than what's the fancy tools out there? How do I just, you know, input it into my strategy and make it work? So I don't know if that sounds different, but in my mind, it was people come first and let's figure out how to reach them and let the strategy support that vision. So this is fascinating, Alan, because this is a decade ago that you're describing. And I feel like that is the 2021 conversation in Church Online. It's like, yeah, your content's out there, but how do you move from click to connect? How do you move from broadcasting to relationship? And so this is fascinating and so relevant. What was Church Online like in 2010 mm-hmm. or 2011 when you took over? Um, like what, what, how had it evolved to that point? And then what were some of the initial changes that you decided to make? So um, one of the things uh, in our context was we wanted, uh, e- even prior to me stepping into that role, the whole reason Church Online was, was started was because we were trying to solve a problem. Um, mm. We knew we were in the middle of multi-site and expanding. And Pastor Bobby, if you've heard the story, he was thinking, man, if, you know, it takes time, it takes resources to build physical buildings and get people. He said, if this was online, I could do it like that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what started the journey of how do we take a church service and put it online so that there are no time barriers, no, you know, cultural barriers, no distance barriers. It just, it's just church. And so we were not trying to create a show. We were not trying to do anything different. We we intentionally created some guardrails that allowed us to be innovative within constraints. Hmm. And so what we did was for us, it was like, okay, the church service is the church service that we have. It's similar to Starbucks. You walk into a Starbucks in Dubai or Singapore or here in Oklahoma City, it's for the most part the same, but it's got a little bit of the flair based on the community it's in. And so in the same context, if you show up online, essentially it's life church, but how do we make it relevant for the community that we're reaching? And so right. our focus became, we, we intentionally left the content as it is. And the part where we got innovative with was the community that happened around it. So we very loosely described or defined church online as there's got to be the teaching of the word of God, there's got to be worship, and there has to be community. If community is not happening, they're just watching a stream online. And so our focus became how do we make sure people are connecting, responding, talking, next steps? And so everything was viewed through that lens. And then over the years, we started seeing, hey, social media that could also be a place where ministry happens. Hey, email, that could be a place where ministry happens. So that expanded as time went by, but early years, our team was purely focused on the online service that happened online. Okay, so I gotta I gotta go here, Alan. Um, for the last year, because I write a lot about church online, because I do think it's future. Um, I've probably heard a thousand times, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, but Carrie, you can't do relationship online. People actually need community. What would you say to leaders who really, like, honestly, sincerely believe that, that you can't sure. have community online? What what would you, how would you respond? It, what's interesting is that was probably what I thought as well, because I was a <laughs> face-to-face person. And I thought that there's something, you know, there's something that you can, you can, there's an experience when you're experiencing it in person versus online. I think 
where I was able to embrace that tension a little bit more, because I do think it is a tension that we need to manage. It's not one that we're trying to solve. I, I, what helped me was viewing those two moments as separately. I think a lot of the initial struggle that I had was, man, it has to be the same as in person. And it has to, hmm. there was this constant tension of, I've got to figure out a way to do what we do in person, do it online. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. An example I can give you is, I mentioned I'm from India. My mom, um, for many years, lived in India. She's here in the U.S. now. But for example, if she would call and say, you know, on FaceTime video or something, say, hey, I want to talk to the grandkids, put the kids on, on the phone. If I were to tell my mom, mom, I know you miss the grandkids, but you won't have the best experience through a FaceTime video call. Let's wait for six months until you're here in person, and then you can talk to them. She would slap me through the phone. I mean, that's just how (laughs) she is. It's like, get the kids on the phone. And so that really, a lot of things that I was experiencing with regards to community, we have family that lives all over the world. Would I just say, hey, online is not the best, and so I'm not going to engage in community? No, I'm going to leverage every tool and every platform there is to connect with the people that I love and connect with the people that God's called me to connect with. And so that's how I've, I I stopped trying to go, is this better? Is this the same? It's different. Let's just embrace it and understand it for the technology it is, and let's leverage it the way we can. Not saying it's going to replace in person. It's just, can I reach you in person? If the answer is yes, yes. Can I reach you in person? And the answer is no. Well, then how do we reach that person? Because that is the great commission. Go into all the world. This gospel is too good to be kept a secret. And so let's leverage every technology, every tool we have. So for me, that was the point where it's like, okay, I'm not trying to make this the same thing because it's not. Hmm. This is how do I get people connected? Now, to go into your relationship question, I can tell you story after story of how people have not only felt connected with the church, but felt connected with God. Because I think Mm. this is where we realize that God's involved in this thing, and He is not limited. Because when we look at ourselves, yes, we have limitations, but He can use a video message. He can use something on social media. He can use anything to convey what he's trying to convey. And if we as a church can be available, that's the game changer. So now with online, um, our heart at, uh, and continues to be is how do we reach people all over the world? And we realized we needed services in many different time zones and things like that. And so we had up to, to by the time I left, we were about 90 services per week. It was the same content that was repeated, but the teams were different. So we had 90 separate teams leading the community that happened at these services. And our role was if God was moving and if someone wanted prayer, how can we as a church not be limited to a weekend, but we? how can we be available any day, anytime, whenever they need it? Wow. Well, there's a bunch of stuff there, Alan. Um, before we get into like volunteers and staffing, that kind of thing, what mm-hmm. what are the limits of digital community? Or are there limits to digital community? Like, would you say, yeah, we can go so far, but we can't do baptisms or we can't do groups sure. or we can't do like what does it have a limit? 
I so um, I, the baptism question is a question that I often get. Like, how do you do baptisms? So one of the ways um, we figured it out was okay. If someone says they want to get baptized, we would try to find out: Do you live near one of our physical locations? Um, do you live near, um, you know, a church that we're partnered with? How can we get you connected with someone so that we can find a way to get you baptized? And if for some reason we cannot get you, uh, find you, uh, find a person or a church, I've promised, like, I will fly down and I will personally baptize you. In about 10 years, I've never had to fly down and baptize anyone. Because <laughs> we've always, I mean, it's the capital C church. There's, there's someone around that we can connect them with and and help them take that next step. So well, I, I think there are aspects though. I think there's, if someone's hurting, there's something powerful about being there in person, you know, by a hospital bed, um, you know, it, there is, there are, don't, so don't hear me wrong. But you can I, use digital, that, connect people with that. So they're not. Yes. Alone, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think the question is not, can we as the church or staff do it? How can we use this as a platform to connect people with people? N- now we're thinking the way we need to think because it's not limited mm. to how many ever there is on staff. It's how do we get the global church connected together so that we can do life together? Okay, that's super, super helpful. And I don't disagree with you because at that point there are no limits, right? Like if you can connect one believer to another new believer or a non-Christian and they can go have coffee or they can get baptized or they can go to a hospital bed or they can go visit a family, then, you know, the opportunities are endless. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's a little, I think the thinking is different because we're used to, in the building model, it's come to us. And the online model is we're going to where you are. And, and that requires a perspective shift that requires a little bit more release of control. I got to be okay with you not being a part of Life Church if there's a church down the street from you and that's the church. Or if you want in-person community and I connect you there, I need to be okay with you not being a part of my, you know, whatever brand or church name. But but I'm okay with you going there. So it, it does require a capital C church thinking. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. And, and you know, what you said when you asked Craig, you know, what's your vision for online church? And he kind of put it on you and you're like, gosh, I didn't even go to like computer engineering. Are you kidding me? But you came up with a people-centric vision for online church. There is that element. and, And I say that having sat in the senior leadership seat in a church for two decades, where the come to me model would feel threatened by this, right? If like, okay, so let's say I connect with someone in India we're never going to have a campus in India, in my church's case. Yep. Maybe yep. not. Never say never. But like, yeah, I don't get credit for that. I don't get points for that. Like all I did was connect this person and that person. And mm-hmm. somehow the kingdom grew, but it didn't It didn't come back on me. Like you've, you really got to, you know, there's that saying, if you want to grow, you got to let go. And yep. is some of that underneath there, It, it is. Um, and even... I mean, over the, like, I think now, um, as I look back at how long Church Online's existed, with Life Church specifically, our physical locations have grown rapidly. And so the mm-hmm. whole argument of if they're online, they won't show up in person, I don't personally agree with that. I think if you've got a great message, I, I'll, my personal experience, anytime I've traveled and gone to different countries to meet people that are part of our Life Church community, first question I would often get asked is, oh, 
is Life Church coming here? Are you are you guys planning a campus here? And so to me, that says online is not creating couch potatoes. It's actually creating a, a fire within people that want to see their community changed. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's, I don't know, it, it might be the whole growth mindset versus scarcity mindset. It's just, we've got to figure out our perspective as, uh, you know, what our perspective is around this. I think it's a. It might be a little bit easier for multi-site campuses or churches to get that because it's not centric around one location. The senior pastor mm-hmm. is thinking more multiple locations, so it kind of falls a little bit in line with that. Um, but I, I think anyone has the opportunity to be thinking growth mindset when it comes to online ministry. Let's talk about that for a minute. Growth mindset versus scarcity mindset. That's been uh, something I harp on from time to time, and I try to make sure I'm growth mindset. What, how does scarcity mindset play into online church in your view, or how can it play into church online? I think sometimes um, I've seen, um, I don't know if this is a direct example, but this, is, this has been on my heart. Um, like right now, it, you can mm. see me, uh, if, yep. say if we were a, in a physical, if we were in the same room. Um, there's a chance that some people would, if they see the physical version of me, they see me wearing my black shirt, they see my watch, they see me standing in the room, and and maybe all they know about me is his name's Alan, he's married, and he came to church this past weekend. Say those are the three data points that they know of me standing in a physical room. If they have that same information online and say there's a dashboard that says, here's Alan, He's married and he attended church this weekend. For some reason, we value the in-person person more than the person that's on that dashboard. Mm. But that person on the dashboard is still me. It's still me married with my kids and dealing with all the things that I deal with. The church has an opportunity to view that person from a growth mindset or a scarcity mindset. We can view them as, hey, this is a real person, part of our community, or eh, there's just this metric online. I don't know who they are. I don't know anything about them. And so I, I hmm. sometimes hear that conversation of, man, if they're online, I don't really know them. I would argue, do we even know the people that are walking into our buildings? You know, you yeah. have 200 500, 1,000 people walking into your auditorium, are you really telling me that you know every one of them and you know what's going on? We don't. And so I think there are some unrealistic expectations when it comes to the information we think we have about the people that are attending in person versus online. Because I could argue that online, you have more information about the people that are attending your church than in, in person. That's a fair point. One of the challenges you had to overcome, particularly 90 services a week, think about that, because you're trying to do multiple time zones. You've got one running in pretty much every time zone, multiple days a week. It's that whole thing I talk about a lot over at you know my website about on-demand versus live, right? Like on-demand is way more potential. You're broadcasting that live, but yes. it's not like, well, you know, we're central time, so you missed us. We were there at yep. 11 a.m. on Sunday, and sorry. You know, so, but you have to build this team. And the other objection I've heard from a lot of church leaders, it's not an objection. It's a, it's a like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? It's like, we don't have any tech people. We don't have any volunteers. How do you, how do you build? Like, obviously that's not all staff, even for a church, life church's size. What kind of people do you need to recruit to your teams if you're going to scale this thing? Um, I, that's a great question. I, I think one of the things that, 
because staff team is if you're part of a church where there's a staff team and you've got senior leadership, the staff know the value the leadership team puts on church online. Mm-hmm. Well, even <laughs> just and I, I remember having a conversation with Frank Blake, who's the ex CEO of Home Depot. I mean, he's done incredible things with Home Depot, especially during um, the real estate issues that were going on in here in the U.S. And he transformed Home Depot from a digital perspective. And so I remember um, uh, talking to him and I heard him even give a talk about this. He said it was important as senior leadership to to show people how serious we were about this. And he talked about three things. He talked about, um, I want to say, people, resources, and time. He said, when it came to people, they the, the rest of the team were looking to see who was placed over the digital initiative at Home Depot. And he said, my first pick was the wrong pick, and we struggled. And he said, the next time I picked the person, he said, I thought through it from the lens of who would be my replacement? Who has that level of leadership that oh, wow. I would go and like say? like the most senior person. The, yes, I'm, I'm talking heavy hitter player who could take my spot. And he said, that's who changed the shape of the organization. And he said, that told the rest of the team, I value that, obviously with resources. And and I think resources, we all understand, but time, this one stuck with me because he said, as a leadership team, they would walk through Home Depot stores and and ex, you know experience it for themselves. He said, are we taking time as a leadership team to go online? And mm. look at, you know, when someone's searching for a chainsaw, what is that experience like? And so that really stuck out to me. So I think for me, when you're talking about building a team, I think it really starts with the senior leadership team figuring out, do we value this thing? Is Are we in it for the long haul? And how serious are we? Because if you're picking the, oh, let me, let's just pick the kid in the corner because he looks young. He probably knows how to do TikTok. Hey, you go lead our online ministry. That sends a message to the organization versus, and I'm not saying you have to pick your replacement, but hmm. who is, who is the heavy hitter in your organization? And do you value this enough to go digital is where I think, you know, a lot of our people are going to connect. And so how do we put the right person there? I think it starts with that before even going into the volunteer piece. Now, going into the volunteer piece, Pastor Andy Stanley um, has done a lot of these talks around culture and, you know, how do you build a team that understands your mission and vision. And so I remember early days spending a lot of time on that because my peers had the opportunity to recruit a leader. You know, you get a T-shirt, you've got core values on the wall. You can do huddles. You've got all this energy. It's your birthday. You get a cup of coffee, you know, like you can do all these things. And here we have people that live in different countries. They've never stepped foot into our building. Some some of them are the only Christians in their family. And so they're, mm. they're serving online in secret. How do I bring that level of motivation and inspiration? And I realized if a campus pastor or a team is sharing their culture, core value, vision, all of that, a certain percentage, I probably need to 10X that. And Mm. so as a team, we just looked for every opportunity to really help people understand the vision, understand why we're here. This is who we are. This is why we exist. If you want to be a part of this vision, then come join our team. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of vision casting. And I remember Pastor Craig saying, whenever you cast vision enough to where you feel 
sick and tired of talking about it, that's when your team's beginning to get it. And so we just... <laughs> We just kept going after it. Um, I'd say there was another book, uh, Power of Moments, that really um, was crucial for our team. It's when someone signs up to be a volunteer. Oh, that's Chip and Dan Heath, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, or Dan Heath, Um, one of the two. Yeah, both. Yep, yep. Okay, got it. We'll link. When someone signs up to become a volunteer or a leader, do they just get an email saying, hey, congratulations, or we, can we create it as a, create an experience? And so all of this requires buy-in. All hmm. of this requires leadership to believe in this, which then frees the team to go, I, I need that person who just signed up to serve that lives in Germany to know that when they signed up to serve, this is a life-changing moment. This is not just, here's an email from Alan, congratulations, here's three links to a PDF. No, no, no. How do we help them feel like this is a moment? So I think there's a lot that goes through virtual leadership, and I'm sure people will be talking about this for years to come. But even in corporate, I think virtual leadership in the church world and corporate, it is a, it is a thing that we cannot ignore. Um, yeah, okay. So that is a great book, Chip and Dan Heath, The Power Moments. And I would encourage people to read it. What did you do to make that volunteer in Germany feel um, like more than just an email with a link to three PDFs, right? Hey, yeah, Gary, so, thanks for signing up. Yeah. Yeah. We tried a bunch of different things. Um, so we, we um, got this box. So Hillsong, you know, we copy mm. ideas from everywhere. Hillsong had this box that I saw that they had released at that time. It was a subscription based where I think um, you get a t-shirt and some stuff and like things like that. And so we pretty much ripped that idea um, uh, it, the, ours was if a volunteer signs in, they get a box. We even had confetti. We had a note from me. We had a T-shirt. We had a mug. We had a vision statement on these little cutout things. And and we would actually ship it so that we because we wanted to see what shape the box would show up in because we we didn't want it to be all scrubbed. So we knew it couldn't be a white box. So it had to be a black box. And so we tried boxes, envelopes. And and I think seasonally we changed too, depending on what we wanted, but we wanted to feel, we wanted them to feel special. Um, another thing that I love, this was like one of my favorite things, we would do a virtual Christmas party. So mm. we would, um, our, this was just for our top leaders. Um, and we would ship these Christmas boxes all over the world. For some, we'd have to ship it like three, four months in advance. So it requires intentionality. You can't just, you know, you got to plan for these things. And then we would show up online and we would all, and, and there would be a sticker on the box that says, do not open until, you know, this date. And so when we would all show up online, it was a video call. You'd see all of these faces. Everyone opens up their gift together. Everyone's wearing a Christmas hat. There's some theme that we work around. And it's just a moment where they get to share stories. We get to share stories, show them data, show them, you know, here's how many people gave their life to Christ. Because this is, I mean, the ministry wouldn't happen if it wasn't for them. And those are some of those intentional moments, I think, that we had to work extra hard to be sensitive to. Um, we would get Pastor Craig to do videos for our team. So any opportunity we get, we try to make things special. Um, and we were very connected to our physical location, so we knew what they were doing. And we were always trying to do what more could we do, because we, we felt like because they were virtual, we had to always provide more. Oh, that is so good. What, um, what would you say to the leader who would say that sounds expensive and like a waste of resources? Because I've also heard that. I'm just pulling up all the objections sure. here, Alan. 
Uh, I doubt you had it there, but I'll tell you, it lives in church world. And in it's a mindset, right? It's that yeah. broke mindset. So um, yeah. any thoughts on I, and that? I think I, I'm, I'm sure people would think, oh, it's Life Church. You guys have plenty of money. That's not how we work. Uh, mm. If you know how we work, we our, our budgets are pretty tight. We're very lean. We're not, uh, you know, we don't just hire and, you know, have tons of money floating around. And so we had to be careful with every dollar um, we spent because we realized that these were, you know, single moms were tithing and these were families and uh, we we felt the weight of stewarding that well. Um, but we also realized that people matter. And mm. I remember reading uh, Parable of the Talents in the message translation, which if you guys haven't done that, you should do that. It will mess you up in a good way. But I remember one of the times when I read it, I felt like one of the resources that we had been given as a church were people. And how were we stewarding those relationships? How how did we help people feel that they were not just people that we needed help, you know, with getting things done, but they were the church. And mm. it was because of them that this ministry existed. And so for us, um, making sure that they were affirmed, making sure that they were valued, um, attrition is a big deal um, with oh, yeah, uh, online teams. Um, it, it, it's a, re- I mean, they. No matter how much you do, like it is, it is very, very difficult to keep a global team motivated. Um, just to give you an idea, when when I transitioned, we had close to a thousand volunteers from about fifty five to sixty different countries, and so this is keeping that whole team engaged, connected. We didn't, we weren't perfect by any means, but. I, anytime we invested in them, we saw the return. Wow. Um, like I mentioned, 90 services. For me, I knew as a pastor, yes, I was on video and all of that, but I had to spend time with my team, our little small staff team. If they grew as leaders, if they developed, if they had a strong relationship with Christ, I knew it would bleed into their leaders and then their leaders. And so I, I think... And again, this was honestly for me, I just modeled off of what Pastor Craig was doing. Mm-hmm. He would uh, quarterly, he would spend time with the campus pastors of Life Church, and he would pour into us for a day and a half. And I, I remember walking away from those feeling inspired, charged. And so I wanted my team to feel that as well. And so we, it, it really is leadership capacity and the quality of the leader plays a big role in how these ministries grow, especially virtually. So that, that's been my perspective. And the days when our budgets were small, we did the little things. And mm-hmm. as the budget grew, we did things that were not that little, you know? I mean, it's so it went from handwritten notes. Like if all you can do is handwritten notes, uh, Frank Blake learned this off of Andy Stanley, where Frank used to write 200 thank you cards a week. He's the CEO of Home Depot. I think he had like 400 million employees or something. I don't know. Or 400,000, yeah, yeah, not yeah. million. Uh, 400,000 or something. Ridiculous. And here was a CEO doing 200 thank you cards. Well, then why can't I as a pastor do that? And so I think that there are things that you don't need a big budget to do. It could be a video call saying, hey, a year ago, you joined our team. I just want you to know that I really value you and I'm so grateful for you. And it's because of you that we're able to see lives change. I mean, that's... You can do, anybody can do that. And so I think it's, instead of thinking, what can I not do? It's how do I accomplish what I need to do with the resources that I have? 
not to put you on the spot, but for the decade that you were the online campus pastor at Life Church, what kind of growth did you see from where you were in 2010 to where you were at the beginning of 2021 when you uh, when you moved into your new role? Um, I think, man, this is. Um, I remember, um, um, and I'm, I'm always careful with metrics and things like that. Yeah. I remember. Uh, praying, God, is, is there a way for us to see like 25,000 IP addresses in one week show up at a service online? That seemed unattainable. That seemed pie in the sky. There was no, I mean, there was like three of us on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and I mean, our budget was tiny. We didn't know what we were doing. And I remember just as a team, us praying for things like that to happen. And and I realized like over the years, I, I have a love-hate relationship with metrics because what we yeah. started measuring is not what we ended up measuring later on. And yeah, that's a whole different topic. But I, I think what, for me, what happened was when I would, you know, there, there was a particular story, you mentioned India. I remember meeting this brother and sister. They'd never come to our any one of our physical buildings. They've been serving for a couple of years. And I talked to them and I asked them, hey, so tell me, like, what's your favorite series at church? And they would talk about the message series that Pastor Craig did. They would talk about his jokes. They would talk about statements as though they were in the building. And I'm, I, early years, I'm going, oh, my gosh. Like, in my head, I didn't say that a lot. I'm like, you really think you're a part of Life Church?" And I'm going, this is like working. Like, I... Wow, this is cool, you know. So I, I think for me, when I think about growth, I really think about how people felt like Life Church was their home when mm. they've never stepped foot into their into our buildings. That to me was, man, our, our ministry is making a difference. Like there are there are people whose lives are being changed, and this family they had no connection, they had no they had no church nearby, they had no access to anything like that, and so it was. It was out of those conversations that we wanted to see small groups happen. We wanted to see people having opportunities to serve. We wanted them to feel like they were part of a community. And I, I really saw that happen over the past 10 years. Can we talk about, and that, that is a, that's the ultimate metric. I mean, when lives are changed, right? That's what yeah. counts. But there's a big debate right now, as almost every church is online, about what counts. Three-second views, 10-minute mm-hmm. views. Um, all the different analytics. Any advice on that? Like, what are what? Yeah. What did you learn when it comes to the actual math? Were in your mind reliable numbers, and then which ones do you're like, yeah, we're not going to pay attention to those. Like, where did you land on that one, Alan? So, um, I'm with you on the multiplier thing. Are I, you? It's like I keep yeah, losing no, that debate. Everybody multi- wants a multiplier, so I, go ahead. I can't stand multipliers. Um, okay. uh, so, I'll, I'll, this was a very um, this was a pivotal lesson for me in the data world. Um, we were we were looking at unique IP addresses per week, or um, yeah, per week. That's how we were collecting them, and we would also look at it per service. And we thought, you know, in the physical building, they do an attendance count like somewhere in the middle of the service. And mm-hmm. so let's figure out online highest simultaneous viewer. We'll just count that as our attendance number. And we thought, okay, everything's going great, great. We were also running ads. Um, uh, It wasn't a number that we were like, oh my gosh, like this is all, it was just what what are some of the data metrics? But this lesson really shaped some thinking for me. 
we had a, a couple of us were playing around with Google ads and our ads would start at the beginning of a service and run all the way to the 45 minute mark. Our services were about 65 minutes. Okay. And so at the end of the 45 minute mark, that's when Pastor Craig's like getting ready to get into the salvation message. We didn't want to cross too many distractions. So we would kind of stop it there. And so we were, you know, looking at simultaneous viewers and we were doing this. And then we had this thought, you know, why are we doing 45 minutes? Why don't we pick a 15 minute slot and see, you know, is it the first 15, the middle 15 or the latter 15 that, you know, all of this is happening. So one week we come in and we're looking at our metrics and our team's freaking out because it's like, oh my gosh, our unique simultaneous viewers just skyrocketed. There's revival happening. God's moving. I mean, this is like answer to all of our prayers. And so while we're celebrating, I'm all, like, so I'm listening to that and I'm going, didn't we like change our marketing strategy? And so what, what was happening was instead of taking 45 minutes, instead of 45 minutes of Google ads, we shoved it into 15 minutes and you see that spike happen. And so that's what was causing the spike. And so that was an early lesson for us to go, okay, hold on. There's no one metric that we can look at that is the equivalent of an attendance metric in a physical location. Hmm. So that for us internally as an organization, we even, we transitioned from calling it attendance to just calling it what it is. So if it's unique IP addresses, we're going to call it unique IP addresses. If it's you know, simultaneous viewers, if it's average view time, we're not going to, we're not going to try and force a a data point that says mm. attendance, because in our context, attendance means something. Because then you'd have the argument of, is it the 15 minute mark? Is it the 30 minute mark? Is it the five minute mark? Because I've also heard the whole vanity metrics thing. So I'm, I'm kind of shotgun approach here. So Carrie, feel free to kind of point me. No, in whichever this is really good. But I, I think about this a lot. There, the I think people undervalue that whole you know five second or oh the five second thing that has no value. That has no value if that's what you're hanging your hat on. If you're a marketer, that has a lot of value because mm. if someone shows up on my feed for five seconds, that means I can retarget them and bring them back. If ah. I didn't have them, then they're not there. So to say that it has no value is a mistake. I think each data point has an opportunity to share a story with us. I would I would encourage leaders to stay away from one metric and that being your only metric and look at it more as what is a story this data point is trying to tell me. That then helps us get a fuller picture. And then look at like longer term trends. So if you're tracking yes. simultaneous views, if you're doing unique IPs, if you're doing even three second views, five second views. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about the retargeting thing, to be honest with you. That's true. And if you know online marketing, I'm a I'm a guppy in the ocean. Okay. So I'm, yeah. I'm like, I, low knowledge is dangerous. But um, yeah, that is true. That means that somehow you've left an impression with that company, organization, church, yep. and they now have an opportunity to target Facebook ads at you, Google ads. Mm -hmm. Can you just explain for me, because I didn't, I didn't fully follow. But when you're spreading Google Ads over a 45 minute window, you sure. compress that to 15. Does that mean yeah. like if I'm on looking for Church Online or Is There Hope or whatever, your sure. Google Ad pops up and it could lead me into a live service? Like how how did that work? Yes, 
So you you have the ability to start your ads and stop them. And we chose to run ads only when a service was happening. Because remember, (sighs) our focus was it's church online. So I wouldn't invite you to my building if nothing was happening. So why would I invite you to my website if nothing (laughs) was happening? Come here Wednesday and sit there till Sunday morning, right? Yeah. Exactly. So we would do it when services start. And so we just figured, we wanted to figure out which one was more effective. And and so that's kind of how we did that. I'd I'd say one more thing about metrics. Um, Some of the frustration, and I don't think the frustration ever went away, but a lot of the tools that we have or the platforms that we have that we use for email marketing and things like that, a lot of it is is focused around product sales. Mm -hmm. So I've got a pen, I'm trying to sell you this pen. I know what a win looks like because the second you buy this pen, that's I've accomplished my my goal. Yep. Now in the church world, there's no pen. There's no, you know, only God knows whenever, you know, your, your name's in the book of life and all that stuff. And so I, it really frustrated me because a lot of the platforms that were available were geared towards some kind of product sales. So some uh, our team started to look at, instead of product marketing, what is behavioral marketing? Um, it, think about it this way. If a city wants to do a no smoking campaign, mm-hmm. how do they determine a win? It's based on the behavior of the people. So what metrics would that marketing agency or that city be looking at? Because it's not about purchasing a product. It's about changing a behavior. Same thing with weight loss campaigns. So Mm. I think in the church world, we need to be thinking about more behavioral data points rather than product sales data points and figure out what behavior would we want to see out of our people and how do we measure data points that tell us that? Can you, um, can you give us an example? Yeah. So a friend, uh, we were talking about like, so let's pick weight loss. If someone says, um, I want to live a healthy lifestyle, um, it's easy to pick a data metric that says, okay, I'm going to look at my weight loss. I'm going to look at how many pounds I lost. But if my goal is 10 pounds, I could lose 10 pounds by starving myself, but that's not a healthy lifestyle. That's not a, that's not accomplishing the objective that I'm trying to reach. And so what KPIs or what data points do I need to be look, looking at that help me get to the objective of healthy lifestyle? So in the same way, you know, we can't control salvation. We can't, we are not making someone get saved, but how can we create an environment that could help people experience God in the best way with the least amount of resistance? And so, you know, do we, what, what, and it's hard to even say a metric because different churches have different objectives. You could look at Life Church and go, hey, so I I will say this, I think post-COVID or during COVID, a lot of churches that were stepping into this were looking at some other churches and going, oh, they're doing this. And so let me do that too, mm-hmm. without fully understanding the why behind it. Because our product shouldn't be our goal. Our product needs to help us get to our goal. So if someone's doing a service one way, don't just copy that. You've mm-hmm. got to figure out who are you as a church, identify the objectives that you want to create based on your DNA, based on how your pastor is wired, based on you know what you experience in a physical location, and find the equivalent of that online, and then let your service, your social media, your email marketing strategy all fulfill that goal, rather than saying, our goal is the best video produced service. Right. Well, I don't know if that needs to be your goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
Um, I don't know if that example helps, but that's kind of how I think we need to be thinking about it. No, that does. So are, are you thinking in terms of like behavioral metrics? It would be like um, trying to move people into a Bible study or a small group yes. or baptism or prayer to, yep. or Bible reading. I mean, you guys literally had the have the version app. So mm-hmm. you can you can kind of do that. Okay. Well, I think even even like uh, a lot of people do uh, new new visitor cards. You right. know, I, I think I think email, like you know, is gold in the digital world. And so any excuse to get someone to say yes, talk to me. That's where we start. And how do we how do we steward that relationship well without spamming them and announcement mode. Um, what were yeah. some of the best ways you discovered to get people to self-identify, to go, yeah, hey, it's Alan, and I got kids, I happen to be married, and I'm now attending? Like, that is that is another very 2021, probably 2022 yeah. conversation, because broadcasting is one thing, but connecting mm-hmm. with people, totally different on social. So what was effective for you, and what would you recommend for leaders? I, I think um, some of the things that were you know, high on my priority list, communication was a big part. Um, I So worship and Pastor Craig, you know, that would happen. And so as a campus pastor, what was my opportunity? We, and honestly, this came from Pastor Craig. We were always led to believe that, you know, this is not announcements. Uh, I think if Craig heard us ever say, oh yeah, it's announcement time. I mean, no, this is not announcement. This is your opportunity to lead your audience. You can look at communication, I'm sure, Carrie, you've seen this too, where people would say something on screen and they'd be like, hey, we're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love for you to fill out the card. By the way, let us know you're here, where you're watching from, and right now we're going to the message or something like that. That is the most uninspiring, like no one's going to fill out that form. No one's going to do it. And so for me, I um, it started, and you understand the whole camera communication piece. I remember where I was talking as though I was on stage. And so in this context, you know, it would be like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Which feels like I'm talking at them rather than I'm having a conversation. And most mm-hmm. of the people that we're reaching it's typically one person behind a camera ski, behind a computer. And so how do we communicate in a way that feels personal? Um, I, I think there are obviously series that could be high energy where you want a little bit more upbeat and all of that. That's fine. But for the most part, I think you've got to look at, am I leading my people to take a next step? And this is, again, where data plays a role. If my goal for that weekend or the series is small groups, well, then how many people signed up to join a small group? And if that mm-hmm. week I look at the numbers and we haven't hit where we need to hit, it's going back and saying, what do I need to do to tweak that? What do I need to make make a difference there? Um, I think little things like asking too much information on a form might deter people. You know, I, I, I think we have opportunity to explore and play with it. If you don't have a goal, it's hard for you to know whether you're winning or not. And so- I think it starts with identifying the goal that you're trying to accomplish and then does the data tell you whether you're doing a good job or not? Hmm. I love what you said and I hadn't heard someone make that point before, but there is a difference between speaking direct to camera where you're a couple of feet from the camera and like doing the, hey, welcome to church thing, which I have seen happen online so much and it rubs me the wrong way. 
And I couldn't figure out why. And I'm like, oh, that's why it's a different dynamic, right? That's like standing up in a living room conversation and going, hey, it's so good everybody's here today. It's like, whoa, 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 what is wrong with you? Like, we are inside and we're your friends. And you're right, it's a very different dynamic than the talk show, telethon kind of vibe that I've seen too often online. It It just really rubs me the wrong way. And you put your finger on it. My my desire was that people would feel like this was not a video. They, I didn't want them to think that this was a video they were watching on a screen. I wanted them to think that this was their church and mm. that's my pastor. And if I needed something, if I needed prayer, if I needed, if I, I, I was going through a tough time, I knew that I could reach out to my church because that's my church. It's not a video I'm watching on a screen. That's my church. And I don't think it's one thing, but I think every detail matters. And communicating on video, that that shouldn't be underestimated. And and I think part of it is you take stage communicators and put them on video. They just they bring that mode. Um, I see this on social media too. It's like they'll they'll stand in their lobby and say, Hey guys, we have church this weekend. We love, you know, rather than getting a little bit more close and talking like you would talk one-on-one to a person. Because even on social media, it's one person holding their device, watching your video. So talk to the one rather than talking to the hundreds or the thousands. Oh, that's so good. That is worth the price of admission. Um, okay, a bit of a lightning round here. I want to talk about what you're doing now, and we'll get to that. But uh, church attendance, where do you see physical church attendance heading in the next few years? A lot of people, they're noticing a 30% dip right now. Do you think that's coming back? And then we'll get into online as well. I I think the reality, um, and for me, I think I'm focused a little bit more globally. And there are friends of mine that buildings have still not opened up. And I think if the building could open up, they would open up. I, I, and maybe this is, maybe I need to spend more time on it. I'm still of the thought process of like, I'm going to reach you however you can. If you're in person, I'm going to reach you in person. If you're online, I'm going to reach you online. Part, maybe that's like just part of the DNA that's kind of been in my head of, we say it at Life Church, we'll say we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. So we will, if, if building is what's going to get you in, we're going to do that. So I don't know if physical in-person thing will ever go away because we're wired to do community with each other. We're wired to do that. Um, so I, it, what's what's interesting is you see the you see reports of where people say, you know, certain groups of people don't want the big church experience, but you also see people say that they want the big church. Depends on which country you live in, you know. So I, for me, it's how can we reach as many people as, as we're reaching, and how do we help them engage in community, grow in their relationship with Christ? If it's a building, let's do the building the best way. I would even say. Would there be a time where churches would would consider having an online pastor for their physical location? Like, say you're not doing online ministry at all. Totally fine. If you're only doing ministry in your building, they come to you once, you know, an hour a week or two hours a week. How do we lead them for the rest of the time? Well, they're online. And so should there be a person that's focused Smart. on online ministry for a physical location? I'd love to see that happen. That would be awesome. Do you think more micro gatherings or even what I might call micro connections, like that example of somebody who wants to be baptized and you find someone who will do it, a local church or somebody in Dubai or wherever that happens to be, 
Do you see that playing a bigger role in the future, Alan? I yeah, I, there's there's this term, the whole microsites thing, and mm-hmm. every time I try to ask somebody like, what do you, how do you define it? There's so many definitions of microsites. Yeah, yeah. So I I do value people getting together in person if they can, um, but I also realize that I don't want that to be a hindering um, or a limiter for people. So it's, I know that there are people in different parts of the world that would love to get a thousand, 2000 people in a room together. And the people would love that. Mm. But then there's also communities that are sick and tired of that. And they want that small, you know, house church kind of a feel. So I, I, I think that if we as leaders can keep the main objective in mind, which is helping people meet Christ, and let's not be so married to our method um, mm. I, I think that's what we need to figure out because I think post-COVID church online needs to look different as well. So, oh, talk about that. How is that going to look different? Well, I think part of it is, like I remember when COVID was happening, I saw a lot of pastors go online. I mean, if you were on Instagram, there was like a million live conversations going on. Everybody's going and, live at eight o'clock every night. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I also remember hearing many people talk about how connected they felt with their church. Because they didn't have to wait for the weekend. They saw their their pastor and their pastor's spouse on the back porch sharing a devotional. And they felt really more connected. But when the buildings opened, everyone stopped doing that. I was going to say, that we, all went away. You reminded it all went away. me. I almost forgot. Like, that's been gone for 10 months. It's just gone. Yeah, because the mindset was, oh, they're coming to me. Rather than, th- there was something about the hunger that pastors had. of like, I'm going to find a way to connect with my people. I, I hope that we don't lose that. I hope that we don't just depend on our building, but we leverage every tool we have to reach our people. It's scary to me how quickly we pivoted back to in-person, come to the building, come to the building, come to the building. What? Um, and listen, I'm not against buildings. I think buildings are no, great. Yeah. I think we need buildings, but that's that's interesting. How? What other changes do you hope for or do you see trends in digital church? I, I haven't figured this out yet, so maybe this is, I'd love to see it figured out. But as pastors are wrestling with in-person and online, unfortunately, and even I'm guilty of this, we fall into this trap of to celebrate one, we have to put the other down. And mm. we don't know how else to sell it. It's like when the buildings were opening up, it's like, hey, you know, online's okay, but to really experience the presence of God come in person. We were just trying to find ways to sell the in-person thing. And I really hope that we can find a way to where we value both and we celebrate both without putting one down. Um, I remember hearing stories of when multi-site and all that was happening. I remember a lot of pastors struggling with, man, if I can't see my audience, how do I talk to a camera? How do I talk to multiple locations when I never get to interact with them in the lobby? But the church figured a way to do it. Because um, I, I think the church has always been a disrupted body. We've just always figured out you know, how to solve these challenges that come our way. And so if we can figure it out with multi-site, What's changed? I mean, there's still, we're still talking to a camera. We're still interacting with more people, you know, on the other side of a a camera than are in person. And so I really hope that as a church, we can find a way because devaluing one to celebrate the other, what we don't realize is we're devaluing the people that potentially call our church their home church. 
And so it reminds me of the whole Jews and Gentiles thing that the the the, oh, uh, the, yeah. the early church was struggling with. It's like, you know, it's the Jews. Mm. I mean, how can we accept Gentiles? I mean, you know, there was just that the thing, the church had to figure that out, but they did. And so my hope and prayer is that we can figure out, like Jews and Gentiles, it's like we shouldn't view the online audience as, oh, they're not really part of our church. But no, no, no. How, if God has brought them through our digital doors, how do we shepherd these group of people? How do we help them grow and, and connect with them, even though we may never meet in person? So that, that is a prayer and a hope of mine. It's a good observation because I think you're right. It's it's rarely that people who value digital disparage in person. It tends to be get into the building online doesn't really count. Why do you think we do that? Why do you think we disparage online? I I, I don't I mean, is it because our identities wrapped up in the buildings? I don't know. Is it mm-hmm. is it because we feel like we can we can add a number to, you know, to help us feel like we're making a difference. I, I will tell you in my role as a church online pastor, it has been a struggle for years to, to know that life change is happening on the other side of a screen. And I, I, I've heard many stories later on where people have given their life to Christ at, at a service and they've closed their laptop and gone and told their friends. And here we are, as a team, you know, praying for them, we're doing all, but we have no idea that life change happened. That is a very difficult place to minister in. That space is not easy. Um, and so I think as a pastor, I've felt the weight of not seeing the fruits of my labor. And how not you, Yeah, how did you push through that? That's really interesting. It's a bit like podcasting. I mean, I know the numbers. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. Like there's millions of people. And I'm like, okay. And then every once in a while I get a message and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. You know, or a guest will say, yep. hey, that episode you did with or what you wrote about is you're right. You got I, I called it years ago, third hand blessing. It's like mm-hmm. I am not going to see the blessing. It's going to happen yep. somewhere else. I may never know what happened. And how did how did you navigate that? Yeah. And and I, I mean, I told you I'm a logical thinker, so I need to know the ROI of all the work that we're putting exactly, into. So this, yeah. was, this was something that I really struggled with. But I think part of that breaking was God just doing a work in me of just reminding me that this is his. Um, I, uh, Kevin Penry, who was also part of our directional leadership team, he told me once, um, there's a passage where Jesus looks at the people of Israel and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, Alan, this is the the great shepherd looking at the sheep and saying, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send workers. Even Jesus knew that we needed to pray to the Lord of the harvest to get, you know, the, the right people in the room and doing all the things that we're doing. And so I think some of the, some of that weight that burden will carry is ours to carry. Um, it's, I believe that it's a sacrifice that we have to be willing to make if we want to do online ministry. Mm. If we don't want to make that sacrifice, I wouldn't recommend online ministry for you because it, it, it sometimes data points. I mean, I'm again, I'm not saying that it was easy for me. Sometimes data points are data points and mm-hmm. it's just a dot on a map and you wish you knew more, but you never will. But there is a level of impact and, and influence you can have when you are doing online stuff that you just cannot have in person. So you made a transition earlier, was it in 2021? And you're now, uh, you have a new role with XP Solutions in digital engagement. So I thought that was a really cool concept. 
Um, yeah. You basically can consult with multiple churches now and uh, they can bring your expertise on. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, Alan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the transition happened end of last year. End um, of 2020. So I, okay. Yeah. So my wife and I, were we were both on staff. Life Church is all we know. My kids grew up here. No plan of leaving. And towards the end of last year, I just felt God say that, hey, your chapter here is done. At first, it was like, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, this cannot be true. Like, this is home. But um, talk to mentors, talk to people around, uh, to- talk to the leadership team. And because I, I, I didn't want to take a decision without, you know, seeking the counsel of those around me. I, tr- I trust our pastors. And and so process with them, talk to them. And we just realized, like, it wasn't a different role. It really was a chapter here is done. And so just kind of st- – and, and then the other part was like, okay, God, where do you want me to go? And there was no writing on the wall. There was no, like, oh, go here, do this. And – um it really was just a couple of churches started reaching out and saying, hey, we noticed you transitioned. Like, what are you doing? I was like, huh? I, I, I don't know. It's like, hey, would you mind helping us out? I was like, we well, sure. I've, so I've never done consulting ever, a day in my life. Don't really know how all of this works. And so I was introduced to uh, a mutual friend about XP Solutions and Nathan Art, who's the founder. Yeah. And he flew down to Oklahoma City just to talk about this concept that he was starting. And it's basically, especially post-COVID, there are tons of churches trying to figure out this whole, how do we leverage digital? What do we do? And we it just felt like this was the next season that God was calling us to step into. And so my wife continues to be on staff at Life Church, And I've had the opportunity to now kind of What's beautiful is just to lift my head and look at so many different churches and organizations and how God's working. It's almost like a peak at the horizon. And it's been incredible, Carrie, because mm. it's been so cool to see that God can work in so many different types of churches that are doing things very differently, but God is still working in them. And to see the scope of God and just to be reminded, like, Oh yeah, God, you are bigger than anything I have ever experienced mm. in my life. So um it's a it's a new season. I don't know if I fully understand all that I'm doing, uh, but it's been cool to walk alongside other pastors and church leaders and not only figure out digital, but leadership stuff and you know, how do you lead teams, how do you build teams, culture, I think is a big part of it. And so leveraging the lessons I've learned and helping churches grow and figure out what their next steps are. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for churches and and uh, really grateful for your impact and legacy at Life Church. Well, if people want to find you online these days, is there a good website? Uh, where, yeah. where are you active on social? AlanVGeorge.com um, is a website. And I'm also active on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me with that. We also just... Um, so one of the things, even after transitioning, I wanted to take stuff that I've learned and just put it down on paper before I forget it. And so I just uh, I released a free resource. Um, it's an ebook. It's I think it's a great um, as, as, as leaders are trying to figure out which direction do we go? What do we do? What are questions we should be asking? What are questions we're not even thinking about asking? This is like a really quick read, but it'll help churches figure out, man, what's that starting point for us? So it's it's more thought-provoking rather than practical, mm-hmm. but I uh, it's, a, it's a resource that's available for free. It's available on the website, and we can make it available for sure. That's at Yes. Okay. Calm. Yep. Calm. Got it. 
Alan, it's been a joy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. You're a gift to me, a gift to so many. Really grateful you joined us today. Thank you so much, Carrie. Uh, it's a bless. It's like a dream come true for me to be on Carrie Newhoff podcast. So this is awesome. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, so much insight there from Alan. Thank you so much, Alan. We have uh, transcripts, we have show notes, and so much more. You can find that over at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 433. And uh, next time we're back with a fresh episode, this one with Steve Carter. So in 2018, Steve Carter was named one of the successors at Willow Creek Church in Chicago. At 38, he was poised to become the senior pastor of one of the largest and most influential churches in America. And then, well, a lot of you know the story. All kinds of devastating revelations about ongoing abuse that had been happening under his predecessor's leadership. So we talk about that, um, how he recovered from that, how Steve did as a leader, what he learned as a leader through all of that, and why character matters so much. Here's an excerpt. I had this one moment with Pete Scazzaro back in the day, and he had come and spoken at this church I was at in Michigan, and I got to drive him from Grand Rapids to Holland. Hmm. And I had, again, in my Honda Civic and driving, and he just is asking me questions, and I don't think he liked the answer I gave him. And you know, if you don't know Pete Scazzaro, he he wrote yeah. emotionally healthy spirituality. I mean, he's a he's, he's been a, a guest. Deep, we'll link to him yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. He's a deep, deep thinker. But he told me to pull the car over on the freeway. <laughs> I'm like, what? And he's like, pull it over right now. And he's from Queens. He's got a great New York oh, accent. Oh yeah, he's, he's he's got that vibe. Yeah, and he's like, when did you get married? And I I March six. And he's like, who did you marry? And I'm like, Sarah. And he goes, that's right. You didn't marry Mars Hill Bible Church. You married Sarah, you know, and he just went after me. And then he gets done after five minutes of just, just kind of pouring into me, but convicting me and challenging me. And then he's like, now you can take me to Holland. And I just, I, I just remember this moment going, he was right. In my thirties, I had my brides confused. That's next time on the podcast. Also coming up for those of you who subscribe, you'll get these automatically. Juliet Funt, Amy Porterfield, if you follow Marketing Made Easy. Uh, she is that person. Great. Aaron Meyer, who wrote all about Netflix's culture. Horst Schultze, the founder of the Ritz-Carlton. Jessica Jackley, who is the founder of Kiva and so many other things. Plus Louis Giglio, uh, well, and a lot of other leaders. Very excited for this. Um, hey, starting in mid-August, we are going to do an Ask Me Anything segment called Ask Me Anything About Productivity. So if you've got a question that starts in a couple of weeks, go to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast, click on the start recording button and just hit me up. What are you struggling with time-wise? And now it's time for what I'm thinking about. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about confessions about online church. Uh, thanks to Pro Media Fire, you can get complete social media management and digital growth and get 10% off your first year by going to promediafire.com forward slash carry and go to remodelhealth.com slash carry and be among the churches and organizations that have already saved $1.6 million simply by going to remodelhealth.com slash carry and uh, you get a free buyer's guide as well. So I am thinking about online church, and I get asked about this all the time. I've written quite a bit about it over the last year and a half, but even long before that. And uh, I have been home until about now. Our church, as you listen to this, is just reopening. Uh, and that's because of the way COVID has been handled in Canada. That's a whole other story for a whole other day. 
But I've been thinking about like, you know, I have a friend who um, I used to fish when the kids were little. And, uh, you know, he told me, hey, Carrie, if you want to catch fish, you got to think like a fish, right? So if you're a largemouth bass, what are you thinking at four o'clock on a sunny afternoon? If you can think like a fish, you can go catch them. By the way, they'd probably be hanging out in the shade under some rocks or logs looking for shelter from the sun. So um, I have learned a lot about being at home and not in the building and accessing church online over the last year and a half. So right or wrong, I want to share with you some honest opinions about church online. First thing I've noticed is that 45 minutes is way more convenient than five hours. Uh, Church has always been five hours for me. Uh, For the last year and a bit, it's been 45 minutes. And that is a really hard thing to flip back. So if you're wondering why your building isn't quite full enough yet, or why so many people linger online, there is that convenience factor. I am not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's true. For years, we've seen infrequent church attendance among even committed Christians, and the cultural disruption of the last 18 months will only accelerate that. Now, the other thing I've learned, and again, this was new for me, I've been in church most Sundays my whole life. Unchurched people aren't lying. Sunday really is awesome. And when I was a lead pastor, people would say, you know, they'd come to faith or whatever, and they'd like, well, I'd like to be there on Sunday, but you know, Sunday's my family day. It's my one day off. And I even secretly resented the line from the Commodore's classic song, Easy, Easy Like Sunday Morning, because like no preacher ever finds Sunday morning easy, right? Amazing, challenging, tiring, but easy? No, give me a break. So having been at home every Sunday, for a year and a half, I fully understand now what people have been telling me for decades. Sunday's a different kind of day. My neighborhood, which is about 95% unchurched, way quieter on a Sunday. So what's the point? I get why people resist giving up their Sundays. Now, am I going back? Yes, I'm going back. Am I going to be involved in the life of the church? Never stopped. I just couldn't go in person. But That means your digital presence is even more important because that is how people think, particularly unchurched people, right? If you grew up in a church going home, you're like, yeah, that's what Sundays are about. Half of our growth over the years at Connexus Church, where I'm the founding pastor, has come from people who don't go to church. And it's just just a different vibe. So the other thing to realize is streaming isn't enough. Uh, It was really interesting in the early days of COVID. Everybody was experimenting. There were Instagram Lives, prayer rooms, and then in the summer of 2020, everyone's like, "Ah, we'll just go back to Sunday. And now that things are open again, people are like, come to Sunday, come to Sunday, come to Sunday. I think it's really important to take your digital presence beyond just the Sunday morning stream or on demand, but really interact with people, really show up for people. I also really want the church to equip me for life in the world, not just the church. If the whole strategy is get to the building, get to the building, you know, you've got 100, 1,000, 10,000 people who can be deployed in the community to help bring in the kingdom of God, to help share the good news. And if you think about how do I come alongside them where they're at, at work, at home, at school, wherever they happen to be, I think you'll be further ahead. So those are some thoughts on online church attendance. And this is why if I was you, I would be investing a lot in it. It is amazing to me still, you know, because online scales in a way that in-person just doesn't. If I was doing these sessions live every week and I asked you to fly in and attend, we'd probably get like 20 people. Uh, But in the meantime, we're at like 18 million downloads and we're able to reach people around the world because digital scales in a way that physical doesn't. So 
this is a moment. This is a moment for you as a church leader, as a business leader. It's an opportunity to really, really connect with people. And those are just some confessions about online church attendance I wanted to share with you. Back next time with a fresh episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.